Father, we just ask that as we approach this precious piece of um, your word, that our hearts would be changed. Lord, you've given us um, just a limited time on this earth to accomplish your will. And there are forces at play all around us. Our own uh, fallen nature within us that wants to war against your spirit and everything that would pull us away from accomplishing what you have put us on this earth to accomplish. I pray that you would begin to speak into the hearts of your people this morning into us, that we would know why we're here, we would know what we need to redeem, we would know what we need to do, and that you would, uh, like Paul, at the end of our lives, uh, we would say, I've finished the things that Jesus has given me to do, and we would stand before and you'd say, well done, good and faithful servant. And Lord, from this day forward, we can't change what's been behind us, Lord, but from now forward, we ask that we would have... um, just a tenacious faith and a tremendous love for you and that we would serve you wholeheartedly, Lord. Lord, let us uh, walk like Paul walked because he walked like Jesus. So we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Ephesians chapter two, I know we're in Acts, but Ephesians chapter two, verse 22, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 10 Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We've already been over that in Ephesians. You were created in Christ Jesus to accomplish the good works that he designed for you to do. There's a reason why we all look different. There's a reason why we all have different fingerprints because each of you has been custom made for a custom project, for a custom uh, work that God wants to do in and through you to bring glory to his name. And apart from you going down that path and doing that thing, you will not have meaning in your life, the meaning to the depth that Jesus Christ wants you to have. And I don't know about you, but uh, it's, you know, I just turned 40, I was, I've been here for six years on April 1st, praise the Lord. And what I see in my life is I look back and I go, what, what a waste. What a waste with so much time and just trying to figure out who you are, what you're doing. Anybody relate to that? And, and you also look at the things you've accomplished, but I don't know about you, but I'm my own worst critic, right? And as I look at my life, I don't want to spend the next years unfocused and, 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 and misdirected and misguided and all these types of things. I want to be focused on what Jesus Christ called me to do. He's called me to pastor. He's called me to preach the gospel. He's called me to make disciples. Go do it and do it tenaciously, Matt. You're going to make waves. Go make waves in love, right? And, and, and I desire, the Lord desires that each of you would hear in your heart, in your mind, from his word, who you are and what you're to be about. Paul had a tremendous calling upon his life. He was tenacious and he was just so focused as a, as a person who was against Christ. And when Christ 
uh, kicked him off his horse and, and blinded him and spoke to him and changed his heart right there on the spot. I mean, miraculous conversion. He got up and he went in great humility. But he was he had seen Jesus. He had heard from Jesus. He knew what Jesus had told him how to, uh, what to do. And by the way, he spent a few more years with him in Arabia uh, getting some more details. Uh, how many of you need a few years in the desert to hear clearly from the Lord? I waited too. But we see Paul, and he's on his third missionary journey here. And it says in verse 13, he says, We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we are going to take Paul aboard. Paul wasn't on board. He decided to walk. He had made this arrangement because he's going there on foot. When we met at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to uh, Mytilene. Mytilene. These are all interesting places. The next day we set sail, went from there, arrived at Chios. The next day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Luke is giving incredible detail about the, the travel schedule of Paul. He's going in all these places. Paul is, is trying to go back to Jerusalem. It says, Paul decided to sail past Ephesus. He's coming back down the coast here, and there's Ephesus, and he decides to sail past it. He's in a hurry. He says, to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. I think he wanted to be there by Passover. He didn't make it. He's got a mission. The guy's planning his life around the kingdom. He's, there's things he wants to do. There's places he wants to go. He's, he's, he's focused like a laser beam on what God has for him. And his heart is to get that offering that he's been collecting back to that church who is suffering in time of the Pentecost. And Pentecost was a big deal for the church because that's when the Holy Spirit fell in the church. That was the birth of the church. No doubt there was a tied up in Jewish, but also in just regular church celebration. But his life was focused on getting that funding back to that church who was hurting as quickly as possible. But from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus. So he goes, sails past there and he calls back to the elders of Ephesus. He calls for the elders of the church. So he goes and parks his boat down, downstream a little bit and he calls for the elders. He didn't want to go visit the whole church because in that culture you'd have to sit down and go through a big thing. He just wanted to bypass all that, sit on the sides, call the elders down to come talk to him. Paul's finishing up his third missionary journey. And during this, tra- this trip, Paul spent three years in the city of Ephesus. We read about that in Acts chapter 18, 19, teaching and preaching and making disciples. And as he left Ephesus, there's that great riot we read about where he almost died. And Paul's sensing that he's never going to see that church again. He's never going to see these people again. He can't get on FaceTime or, or whatever it is and, and, and say, how you doing this week? He had to wait months to hear from things, people walking. And there's a sense in his heart that this is, this is it. I'm not going to see these people anymore. Verse 25 talks about that. But as he's hurrying back towards Jerusalem in hopes of making it to celebrate Pentecost with the church in Jerusalem, he is burdened for the church in Ephesus and its leadership and the hardships that await them. And he knows that if he makes that stop in Ephesus, He's going to have to greet the entire church. He simply is feeling the urge to get back and he has to just talk to the leadership and so he sets sail. He does that. He calls the elders and these are guys that he raised up. When he got to Ephesus, there wasn't a church. He 
spent time. These people came to the Lord. He spent hours and days and times with them, speaking to them. He's pouring his life into these men, raising them up. Guys, he discipled. Guys, he's entrusting the ministry of the word to. Is the heater a little bit hot right now? Yes? No? So, anyways. Listen to the women. The word for elder here is the word uh, presbyteros, which is where we get the word presbyterian. It just means elder-ruled kind of church. But the word means mature. It means mature. It doesn't necessarily mean gray-headed. It means mature spiritually in the Lord. That's the New Testament meaning of that. Timothy was an elder. He was one who was set up elder. Same with Titus. Titus is a little bit older. But it means mature. There can, this, this, is, this isn't limited by age, but generally it's, it's older people have been walking in the Lord. In the New Testament sense, it just means spiritually mature. And so Paul lays those qualifications out in Titus and Timothy, and you can read about all that. But these were men that received the word. They were men that lived by the word, and they proclaimed the word, and they defended the word. They were mature. And so Paul loved this church and these men who were leading it. And it would be the last time he would see them and he wouldn't be able to share the meals with them and to teach them and to answer all their questions and the things. How many of you have questions about life? When things get difficult, you want to talk to someone who knows their stuff, who's been there, who's worked through it, who who knows what's going on. You want an elder. Amen? I don't want to go talk to millennials. Sorry, everybody. Even my age, you know, I'm not talking to them about financial planning or whatever. You, know? you want to talk to someone who's been in through it. And same with the things of the Spirit. You want to talk to someone who's not only knows the Word, but lives the Word, has defended the Word. Is, you see the fruit of the Word in their lives. They are the real deal. They're mature. They have love flowing out of, out of them. And they're not afraid to defend the faith. They're not afraid to stand up for truth. They go out and they grab the sheep who are in trouble. They go and protect them. Their lives are laid down for others. This is maturity in in, in Scripture. And so, he wouldn't be able to share with them anymore. And so he's going to lay it down on the table. If you know you're going to see someone from last time, what are you going to say to them? What are you going to communicate to them? You're going to communicate to them the depths of your heart. You're going to lay down what you really need to say to someone. That's what Paul is doing here. These verses here particularly focus on the fact of the ministries that God had, the ministries that God had entrusted, uh, has entrusted to each of us. And the focus I want you to think of is that, guess what? The ministry, the, the good works, the life that God has called you to live out for him will come to an end. Relationships will come to an end. Things will come to an end. There'll be a time when you can no longer do what God has called you to do in this lifetime. Have you done all you could do to follow him, to obey him, to hear his voice, to lay it out on the line? This is what Paul's getting at here. God has given each of us ministry within his kingdom and the means to accomplish it. He's given you spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're not able to accomplish the, the will of God apart from the power of God. He's given you each spiritual gifts. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Most people do not. We need to know those things. You know, what I run into is, is within, within uh, my experience in ministry for the past 20 years is that 
people don't care. Quite often. You know, there's, there's those who are really excited about the Lord and then there's those who are nominal Christians. And, and, and the Lord wants you on fire. He wants you to know who you are. What happens is we get sidetracked with all this other stuff that really doesn't matter. And in the end, it's fruitless. Guilty. You know? He wants to know you, you have been blood-bought. He has given you spiritual gifts. The emphasis is not the spiritual gifts, but you are to use those gifts in his kingdom. That's where the power comes. He's given, in Romans 12, 3, he's given certain gifts of, of, to, of, of ministries to, di- to different people, various peoples, and he's given us faith to accomplish all the things he's asked us to do. Those Ephesians 2, chapter 10 things, those good works that we should walk in. And most of all, he's given us time. He's given us time. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, uh, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. We know we've been, we've been bought with that, brought that spiritual life into our, our hearts. We have this walk with the Lord and we've been given those good works to walk in. And we'll be judged at the judgment seat of Christ according to what we did with it. I don't want to throw the negative. I want to encourage you, but it also... Paul talks in these languages. In other words, he's throwing everything on the table when he talks to the church. He's going, come on, come on, come on. He's all, you better or else. He's doing everything he can to motivate people. Everything. How many of you know that you, some of us are really motivated? You have children that are just like, go do this. And they're like, okay, I'm doing it. And then other children, it takes a little bit more convincing. <laughs> I'm one of those children. <laughs> But he says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Romans 14.2, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And so we not only have been forgiven for our sins, but we're going to be rewarded according to what we have done, praise the Lord. But there's verses in there that, that kind of you know, talk about you know, the things we've done that were ch- chaff, being burned away, and, and moments of sorrow. I don't know what that's going to be like in the kingdom, but I have a feeling there's a day of reckoning. While we don't have eternal judgment, I, I tell you, it's going to be pretty sad for a lot of us. But nevertheless, we'll be saved by fire, I believe Peter says. Amen? I don't want you to get up there and go, oh, crud, my whole life was just dumb. I'm saved, but yay. I want you to have, yes! did it. Did what he called me to do. Look at Enoch's life. You read about Enoch, and it's like, you're like, what are you talking about Enoch? The guy was like teleported. If you read his life, you just read that little section there about his life. He was born, he had kids, and all of a sudden, when he had one kid, Methuselah, his life changed. It says, and then he walked with the Lord for 360 years, and then he was, he was no more. The Lord had taken him. Something about that kid, and that mean, the name Methuselah means when he dies, it shall come. When he died, he was, well, you, we wonder why he's the oldest living person in the Bible. Because the day that he died, the flood came, Noah's 600th birthday. That's why all the numbers are in there. Do the math. You math people. It's fascinating. When Methuselah died, the flood came. Somehow he knew when this child ended that there's judgment coming. And that shook his life. He was just like everybody else walking down a road and then he realized there's the day of reckoning. 
And then what happened is, is God's grace, and he walked with God. When you walk with God, you don't experience the judgment. Praise the Lord. You get teleported. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But Paul lays out, he's sitting here, Paul's sensing the door closing on his ministry, the time he has. He's, 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 he's talking to these people. He feels it. He wants to communicate to the elders the fact that his goal in life was to finish the work that God had called him to do, the ministry that God had given him, to finish the ministry God had given him. That was, that was his whole ambition in life. That's why he lived. That's what he did. What's your ambition? To get that thing built or to do that thing, or to see my kids grow in the Lord, or whatever it might be. What has God given you to do? Do you know it? Have you sought him for it? Have you asked him? Have you been around a church enough to where they can speak into your life and help direct that in your life? Amen? That's how I found out who I was, was hanging around you people. You know, the church. You find out, oh, I'm not a leg. You know, I'm this. And the Lord shows it. But real quickly, Paul points out in these verses, just, just in these first few verses here, four ways in which ministry happens. Four ways in which Paul lived. Four ways in which ministry is directed. There's only four ways that the, the call of God on your life plays out. And first, it's to God. Second, it's to the church. Third, it's to the lost. And fourth, it's to yourself. That's how ministry plays out. That's how the good works play out. That's what happens. It's going in one of four of those directions. It's to God, it's to the church, it's to the lost, and to yourself. God has called you to him. He's called you to the church. He's called you to the lost world. And he's called you to, to yourself, basically, too. And don't worry, I'm not getting new age either. We're going to destroy self in just a bit. Just kidding. But so, so Paul, in this light, as his, as his life is coming down, he's just going, man, I want you to know these things. And so it says in verse 18, it says, when he arrived to them, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to you in the province of Asia, this is what I was all about. Your life shows what you're all about. What you do, how you live, shows what you believe. Do you know that? It's true. Paul says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. And you know what my life was about, what my ministry was about. Verse 19, and here's the first part of ministry. He says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plot of my Jewish opponents. We're only going to get into that first direction. Paul, Paul's ministry it was foremost towards God. We're only going to talk about going towards God today, our ministry towards God today. And there's three aspects of that Paul talks about it, and it's right there in your, on the cover of your bulletin. It's in great humility. This is how we serve God. This is how we minister to God. We serve in great humility, with many tears, and with many trials. How many of you have a different view of serving the Lord? With gladness, obviously, too. And there's a lot of other things, right? And joy. But Paul says, this is how I served when I was among you. First of all, I served the Lord in this way. The word for served here is the verb that comes from the noun meaning slave or bondservant. It's what bondservants do, they serve. It's what slaves do, they serve their masters. 
This is what Paul is using. This is the imagery that the apostles would use. In other words, we, we know that a bondservant, if you remember that term, it was someone who willingly gave up their freedom to be their master's slave because their master was so good. In other words, I lay down all my rights. I lay down everything I have because being in your house is better than anything. Being under your roof, your authority, is, is better than anything. And Paul would use this imagery. James would use this imagery. All the apostles would say, I'm a bond servant of Jesus, Jesus Christ. This world is nothing to me. All my pursuits are nothing to me compared to being a servant of God. In other words, that is better than every, anything this life has to offer. That's pretty wild. And so he's saying, I served. I served the Lord. I was a bond servant towards the Lord. And he goes, the first aspect was with great humility. Great humility. God was so merciful and, so, and was so gracious and sowed so much love towards Paul in the person of Jesus Christ that Paul, in response, said, I'm, I'm your eternal servant. I'm gonna live for you. He served with great humility. Paul was a bad dude. Remember that? Paul was a bad dude. He lived a, a pretty hard religious life, but Paul was changed by grace. If you remember back in Acts 8, verse 3, it says that Saul, Paul, he began to destroy the church, going house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. He was the one who stood over and kind of directed the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Paul, writing to young Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, he gives us a little insight into who he was and the effect of God's grace upon him. He says, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, to his slavery. (laughs) He's using this word. I'm so thankful that I'm a slave to the Lord Jesus. I know this is weird language, especially with that word in our culture and all that type of stuff, but it meant something deep and profound to Paul. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. How many of you feel like that? You lived in one way, you did a bunch of things, but God's grace just got dumped on you. You're like, are you kidding me, God? You overlook, you, you you've forgiven me of this? after Paul persecutes the church and all that stuff. And then he goes on, he says, now, uh, well, sorry, uh, the grace of our Lord is poured out of me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. And so he gives him faith and love and all these things. And he goes, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst, Paul says. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul was an example. If you look at your life and you go, if God could work through a person who persecuted the church, murdered Christians, separated families and did all that stuff and was tenacious in doing it, if God could save a guy like that and then use him to write the New Testament, what about me? God's grace is pretty big. He's got you covered. 
And then he goes now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. You see, out of that knowledge of who he was and what God did comes worship, comes service, comes flow the good works, flow who he is. So Paul's not boasting in the flesh when he says he served the Lord with great humility. He's not saying, I'm so humble. How many of you heard people talk about their humility? Now Paul was saying that I know who I was and what Jesus saved me from. I was the worst. He poured out his grace on me. Man, I, I serve the Lord in response to that grace. I love the Lord. My motivation for serving is the grace of God. Let me tell you, one of the hardest things, I guess for me in my walk, is sometimes to be motivated in things for the Lord. Anybody have that? I have to serve. You know that tells me about myself? Is that I have taken my eyes off of Jesus. I've taken my eyes off of, of who I was and what he's done. Because when I sit there and I remember back to Genesis that what God says happens and that he could say, Matt, depart from me for out, throughout all eternity, be separated from me in hell, and guess what? It would happen, and he would be righteous and just in saying that, and it just would be. But instead, that very same person who speaks things into existence, that talks to demons and they obey, Jesus said that if you believe upon me, that you will have eternal life, and guess what? When we believe upon Jesus Christ, guess what we have? Eternal life. And we have eternally been bonded with Jesus Christ, never to be separated. And that should go in my mind, thank you. What do you want me to do? I'm here. I'm yours. My schedule is yours. My money is yours. My time is yours. Whatever you want. Here I am. I'm your bond servant. You see, that's worship. That's service. That's response. That's towards God. That changes attitudes all across the board, no matter where you're serving God at your work. Who cares if they're unsaved or not? If they're treating you great or not? You're there for the king. You're serving Jesus. You've got like a great ticket. That hard, horrible, hard job you're in. Compared to hell, this is awesome. Praise the Lord. He's put you around sinners that need your hope and your life, right? Of whom you were chief and are chief sometimes, right? Praise the Lord. Paul, this is his motivation Motivation for serving God is the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says of himself, for I am the least of the apostles. This is the humility he's talking about. He's an apostle. Imagine being able to just touch, walk up to people, touch people, heal them, say things, things happen. I mean, just you have authority in the spiritual realm. I don't know. That would kind of go to my head. How would you like to just go pray to people and just go, man, you're healed, and they're healed, and, they, and like demons are, are, they flee. You know, after they're bugging you for three weeks or whatever it might be. <laughs> remember that situation? Paul said, get out of here. It might have been Peter, I can't remember. But I am, he says, I'm the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle, but because, because I persecuted the church of God. That's my ruling scale. That's how I view myself. But he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, you are what you are. But by the grace of God, you know, you're a nurse, you're a mother, you're a father, you're, you know, wherever you are, but by the grace of God, you are who you are, where God's placed you in his kingdom. 
And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, all the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. You know, grace motivates you in the kingdom of God. You want to have the most dedicated people in children's ministry. You get people who are enamored with the grace of God, who know they've been forgiven. You don't have to motivate them to be on time or whatever. That's what we're longing for. People love God. And it plays out in their lives. They're just in touch with the grace of God. That's not something that can manipulate. You teach it. But God connects it with the heart. How many of you, when you first came to the Lord, you're just blown away at his grace in your life? Wow, you've forgiven me. And there was a freedom and there was a joy. And there was an energy. How many of you, like this church, have left your first love? And you have the Ephesian church. 80 years later or so, Jesus is writing back to this Ephesian church that Paul's talking to. And what does he say to him? Hey, you've done all these great things, but you left your first love. What happened? Remember, repent, and redo. Remember from whence you've fallen, repent, turn from that stuff, and go back and do the first things. But I don't feel like it. Well, that's why you got where you got. You're going by feelings. Look at me. Look at how glorious I am, how good I am. Put your face into my face. When, when you start connecting with my, you, your, your mind starts connecting with the way I think, when you, when you start seeing Jesus, reading Jesus, hearing Jesus, you start to shine. You glow. We're being renewed day by day, but I mean there's something that radiates out into your life. That's what he created us for. But there's this great humility in Paul. He said, he served the Lord with great humility. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Amen? About motivation there. (laughs) Another mark of Paul's service to the Lord was he served with tears. Verse 19 says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Paul was willing to suffer internally in his service to the Lord. He was willing to go through hardships, to be connected with people, to have broken relationships, to see things not work out. He was willing to step out in the things that God had called him to do, even though it was hard for him emotionally and physically. It took a toll on him. Paul was willing to suffer in his service to the Lord internally. One of the things you're going to experience in serving the Lord is inner sorrow, inner suffering, tears. There can be many reasons for this, but as we look at the, Paul, uh, the life of Paul, there's a few occasions where he talks about the tears that he experienced. And it was, it was based around the fruitlessness of his ministry. The fruitlessness of his ministry. When he was ministering to people and they never responded, or there was a hard-heartedness, or there's an opposition, or the, ca- the enemy came in and started attacking, there was just a, a breaking in the spirit, and he agonized over it day after day after day. How many of you have kids that go berserk? Same kind of heart. There's going to be tears when you invest and you're wholehearted in the things God's called you to do.
You know, I mean, we, we just finished the book of 1 Corinthians back in September, and it was heavy. You know, and Paul, it was heavy for Paul to write that book. You sense the weight in his heart as he's writing to this church. It was not a fun book for him to write. It was not a great thing for him to communicate to people that he loved. You know, that's kind of why I've avoided 2 Corinthians, <laughs> just kind of because of tears. I don't want tears, and I just want to... You know, Ephesians was a great break, but but Paul's writing back to the Corinthian church after the first book he wrote. They just broke his heart. And he wrote in the second Corinthians chapter two, verses one through four, he says, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? It says I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should be made, made, have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share in my joy, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. Not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. When we serve the Lord, we're going to have tears because there will be those whom we love that go from the Lord, that break his heart, that break our hearts. This thing's just part of ministry. Are you still willing to step out into it? Are you still willing to engage? Are you still willing to love? Paul suffered internally as he served the Lord. He experienced this with his burden for the Jews. Over and over. Romans chapter 9, verse 2 to 3, I speak... Uh, the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. Uh, my conscience confirms by the Holy Spirit I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of the people, of those of my, my own ace, the people of Israel. In other words, I, he just had a burden for the lost. He was weeping and, and, and broken-hearted over that, seeing people lost and hard-hearted. So not only people he's ministering in the church, but the lost on the outside hard-heartedness. It, it got to him. It broke him. How many of you have relatives that just won't have anything to do with the Lord and it just breaks your heart and you see their lives going down a path? There's tears there. Philippians 3, 17 through 19, Paul, Paul cried out for the lost. Join together in me in following my example, brothers and sisters, as just as, uh, as you have uh, us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their minds set on earthly things. And it's a, Paul's not slamming down on them. He is bra- broken hearted about these things. And as we will read next week, he shed tears for the church. Uh, in, in Ephesus there, in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, if you just read a little ahead, he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own numbers, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And so be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Jesus, over and over again, was vexed in his soul, overcoming his spirit as he is ministering to people, broken to tears because of the hard-heartedness of people, because of their rejection of truth and life. And the, so the path they just went down, even in the midst of religious things. Uh, in Luke chapter 19, verses uh, 41 through 42. 
He says, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known this day that would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes, the days will come when your enemies will build embankments against you and circle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. And Jesus foresaw this, this destruction that was coming upon people. And let me tell you, there's a world that's lost around us and our hearts should be broken for them. And that should not, we should, we should be ever the more the vigilant in the word, ever, ever more heartbroken, ever more praying, ever more involved in speaking truth in love like this. But oh, he was broken inside. You can just see the emotions of Jesus, the sadness, the anger over the loss. Jesus went right after he said that, went to the temple and flipped over the tables. Why did he do that? Because those people were leading them astray. The love came out. Paul's ministry, the service to God, was of great humility and with tears. And the last thing, that was internal suffering. He said, I also had many trials, external suffering, external suffering. And that's the third aspect of service towards God is that Paul served God in the midst of severe testings by the Jew, the Jewish opponents. He suffered outside through severe testing. You know, Everywhere Paul went, he was opposed. Everywhere Paul went, he was opposed. Everywhere Paul went, he was opposed. How would you like that? Especially by the Jews. If you're going to serve the Lord in the Spirit, you're going to rock the boat. Do you know that? You're going to rock the boat. Just as Jesus rocked the boat, you're going to rock the boat. You'll rock the boat within the church because you're, you're kicking the establishment. Oh, that's a buzzword, isn't it? Uh, some, some of the things, you, you know, the powers that be, and this is the way we've always done things, and blah, 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 and you're just going to rock it. It's going to happen. You're going to rock the outside world when your boss tells you to do something, you go, no, nah, I stand for Jesus, I'm not going to do that. I'm honest in the way I do things. You're going to rock the boat. It's just going to happen. Paul experienced much opposition at the hands of the Jews, those who rejected Christ as their Messiah. And at Antioch, Acts 13, verses 45 through 50, it says that they began to contradict Paul, what he was saying. They heaped abuses upon him. How many of you want to have abuses heaped upon you? And then in verse 50, it says the Jewish leaders incited God-fearing women of high standing and the, the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. How many of you would have to leave your situation because it got so bad that you feared for your life? And so you're just kicked out. Got to go to the next city. And then you go to the next city in Iconium, Acts 14. There was a plot afoot among the, the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the next cities. Well, you get to the next cities. Everything's great. You're in Lystra, Acts 14. Then some Jews came from Antioch. They followed them over there. They didn't like them that much. They followed them over there. How many of you people have people who don't like you that much? They follow you around. The people saying, just posting crud about you on the internet. Well, it comes. Some of the Jews came and Iconium, and, and they went over the crowd, and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside of the, di- the city, thinking he was dead. So they finally got him. It goes on. Goes on to Thessalonica in Acts 17, but other Jews were jealous, and so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. 
Paul had to skip town and went to Berea. But they followed him there, and they agitated the crowd. And so in, 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 in Corinthians, he moved on to Corinthians, Acts chapter 18. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. And in Acts 20, where we were just reading about, he's about to get in the boat, and what happens? They made a plot on his life, threw him overboard, or something happened. Have you experienced opposition when you set out to serve God? Have you experienced opposition when you set out to serve God? Have you ever noticed and said, my family, the Lord's calling me to serve. The Lord's calling me to step out in this area of ministry. And immediately when you step out, you start meeting resistance. Has that ever happened? And what, what do we want to do when that happens? Stop. What do you think the enemy wants you to do? Stop. How many of you start stepping out and serving and the first person you get resistance from is Christians? How disheartening is that? How are we supposed to grow? <laughs> okay, get along. Let's go. That's what we, I mean, how many of you were in the schoolyard? We didn't get along. We had to learn how to get along. So pastors and elders and other mature people are around to help us to figure out how to live in Christ now, to work out our difficulties, to not do things the way the world does things, to learn to forgive one another. Where do you learn that? Hello? Hanging out with one another. That's what the one another's are for. That's how you display love. I think the disciples were perfect walking around with Jesus. No way. But do you know the devil's plan was that Paul would stop? That he would get discouraged because of the outward suffering? But do you see even in the suffering, what happened to Paul when he got persecuted? What did he have to do? He had to leave and go where? To another city. What went with him? The gospel. And then he got attacked, and he got moved, and he went to another city. What went with him? The gospel. And so the enemy's trying to stop it, and what actually hap- is happening? God's plan is going forward. The gospel is being spread because Paul didn't give up. He kept focusing on what God had called him to do. He knew what God had called him to do. He kept going. He expected to have tears inside. He expected to have trials on the outside. This wasn't about Yay, here's your happy, you know, it's like, it gets white-knuckled. UFC sometimes, you know, in the spiritual stuff, you know what I mean? You got to persevere. Jesus persevered for us. That's what love does. That's what humility does. It says, it's not my will but yours. You know, Paul served the Lord with great humility, and he suffered within and without your ministry, your service to God is, is, is to God first. It's in response to the grace of God in your life. That's your motivation. Are you motiva- motivated by grace this morning to serve him? How's that happen? When's that gonna happen in your life? That's you hanging out with the Lord, spending time with him, hearing from him, being reminded of his love for you and, and the cross. You know, that's in response to the grace of God in your life. That's your motivation for serving the Lord. That's why you serve in the children's ministry, those of you who do. That's why you sing on the worship team or you share with the lost or you feed the poor or you serve the unsaved boss the way you do. 
It's because you are a bondservant of Jesus. Jesus Christ, you do everything for him. He's your motivation. You operate in the shadow of the cross in the light of his love. The shadow of the cross in the light of his love. Those things just kind of are always on your heart in great humility. And as you serve and minister to God in your heart, your heart's gonna be like his. You're gonna have some tears over what should be or what could be, what might have been, and your heart's gonna break over other lives of your own, over your own, you know? And as you serve and minister to God, you're gonna be opposed by a very real enemy. Jesus said in John 15, verse 18 through 21, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why it hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant. He's not greater than his master. It's good. Keep keep that in mind. You're his, and it becomes more clear that you're his when you suffer in these ways. So this morning, Paul started by talking about his ministry of service. You know, that was what his life was about. What's your life about? What's your life about? Have you had to sit down with the Lord and say, what, what's this all about? Is this my kingdom going on here, or is this your kingdom? We just, because I know there's a day coming, and there's only so much time you've given me to accomplish what you've called me to do. And the days aren't getting any longer. The time is pressing for all of us. This is it. This is our life. This is all we have. And let me tell you, when you get to the kingdom, the things that we thought were so important probably not going to be too important. I hope, it, I hope you feel the weight of that because I'm feeling it. And not to go, oh, crud, I've messed up. Well, maybe. But go, Lord, from now on, I want to be that bond servant. I want to be that person who, whatever you want. And that can be very scary because it means that you might have to lose some things to, to experience the life the Lord wants to give you. It's okay, let me tell you, when you give it up, he fills it and packs it in with things that are just so much better. But that's the deception we live in sometimes. But we just, there's those four components we just spoke about towards God, but there's also towards the church, towards the lost and to yourself. And those are the next few verses and we'll actually take bigger chunks of those. But this is the most important, towards God. The heart of ministry this morning, where it all begins is ministering and serving God. Not me, not the church. Do you serve the Lord? Is that your motivation for all that you do? Pray the Lord would work that into our hearts this morning. You know, you might just be there going, I have no idea who I am or what I'm supposed to be doing. That's okay. Love to pray with you. Love to get in the word with you. Love to encourage you. You got elders, you got people around you, but you must stand up and say, I have no clue. I have no clue. Where am I going? What's going on here? I don't want to waste any more time. It's okay. 
We want to, that's why God's put us here together in this room, in this church, why we meet on Wednesdays and wherever else, coffee or whatever. Okay? Lord, just move you forward into his plan in your life as you serve him with great humility and with many tears and trials. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to respond to your spirit this week. Just respond to your spirit. And I pray that as we walk out the door, that we wouldn't forget why you've put us on this earth to bring you glory. And there's a day when we'll see you face to face. And I pray that we wouldn't have a view of grace that says, yay, grace, I can do whatever I want. But it would be like Paul. Grace had an effect. I worked harder than all of them. Not I, but grace within me. That your love, your goodwill towards us would be so compelling that we'd want to give it back tenfold (laughs) in our own minds. Pour it out upon your church this week, Lord. Thank you for loving these people. Thank you for dying for us, Lord. We love you. We want to love you with our lives more and more. Power us to walk out of here with joy. And whatever comes ahead of us, we ask that uh, we would have that eyes focused like an eight laser beam on your son. In the name of Jesus, amen.